0: All right. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. Darren Mitchell here and uh, a very special guest all the way from the US of A, and I believe if I'm not mistaken, Denver, Colorado. Yes,
1: Denver. Yeah.
0: Welcome, Madeline Dunlap from the Rewild Group. How are you?
1: I'm doing well today. How about yourself?
0: Really well. Now, it is, uh, what day is it here today? It is Wednesday here yep. in Australia and means it's Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon. Here. Yep. Yep. Tuesday afternoon. And you're coming into winter.
1: We are. Yes, it's very chilly. Uh warmed up a little bit, uh, but we had a nice big snow a couple days ago. So uh we are in we are in winter.
0: Fantastic. Well, we are supposed to, Madeline, be coming into summer, but okay. the last few days it's been we've in Melbourne, where <laughs> I am. We've had like three days close to each other under 14 degrees Celsius, and we're supposed Ooh. to be coming into summer. Hasn't been snow yet, but who knows? Who knows? <laughs> hey, so welcome welcome to the podcast. It's a great opportunity to have a have Thank a conversation. You. Always like talking to interesting people and people mm. who are doing some great work in the world. Uh, and we're going to talk about business today. We're going to talk about stages of growth within businesses um, and we'll see where it goes. So I, as great. people are listening to this and you've been listening for a while, sometimes I've got no idea where this is going to go, but it is all meant to happen. It's all meant to be. <laughs> So, Madeline, as a as a beginning point, uh, if we yeah. set the context, if you can just give the listeners a bit of a, a bit of a backstory in terms of um, Madeline Dunlop and, and what led you to be part of the Rewild Group?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'll try to hit on the high points and, and be efficient with time, too. Um, so today, I'm the Director of Business Development at the Rewild Group. And my story actually started as a young manager. Um, in a professional services organization, worked my way up through the ranks, you know, started at entry level. And and while I was working there and growing in the organization, I was going to school and obtaining my degrees and, and doing what I thought I needed to do in order to help uh, or really prepare myself to be able to help the organizations I worked for grow. Um, and there was a a day I can recall actually sitting at my desk. Um, I'm sure there was some sort of fire that I was trying to put out and I realized that I actually don't know how to, um, help this business be more successful at an organizational level. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, a part of the leadership team, but I thought, how, how could I not know that I've been in this business for a long time. I, I took all the classes and took out all the loans and, you know, all these things, I've got these pieces of paper that say I should know. And I don't, um, I was very, very fortunate to kind of come to that realization around the same time that the CEO that I worked for was on a bit of his own journey and just trying to figure out how to grow the organization. And it was a good business, it was a lifestyle business, but it had hit a plateau. And, uh, you know, read all the books, did all the things that, um, you know, were trending at that point. And, and it just wasn't making a difference. And he came across this concept that that businesses go through stages of growth. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually that those stages of growth do not necessarily relate back to your revenue, do not necessarily relate back to how old your business is, but it actually based on research ties back to the number of employees you have in the organization. And as your business grows and you add new people, you add new complexity and new dynamics. And that if you are unaware of these stages that you're going through, you can, What it feels like to a business is that you, you're growing, you're successful. And all of a sudden you hit this plateau and things don't work anymore. And, and you just, it is almost like this invisible wall. And we took these concepts as a leadership team and, and we, we just dove into them. And I'm not going to tell you, we got them right all the time, but what it did was it allowed us to start progressing. We were not working harder. We were not, we didn't add, you know, we didn't bring in any capital or anything like that. It was just, we had more clarity on what needed to be done. And we were able to more successfully execute on those things. And about three years into the growth journey, um, tons of success, learned a lot of things along the way, uh, tripled the size of the business, increased profit margins by 10 percentage points. We had virtually zero turnover. Um, so from culture and the money perspective and the financial side of the business, all of these things had improved. We were acquired by a, a competitor. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you know, uh, the CEO, Matt, he, he said, good right off into the sunset, having uh, successfully ex- exited the business. But uh, instead, he said, I have to take this to more people. Uh, this was the thing that made a difference for me. And I read all those things that I was everyone else said I was supposed to read, but no one recommended this. Um, until kind of a, he, he actually went to a peer and a peer said, Hey, read this. Um, and he said, I have to take it to more people. So that was the birth of the rewild group. He went out and acquired the intellectual property of the rewild group. And, um, and today we help businesses, um, with the same struggles that we face and teach them these concepts, um, so that they can use it in their own organization.
0: Wow. So I'm I'm interested also because I was going to ask you because we've been connected for a while on LinkedIn the the rewild group does that is there is there some sort of um hidden meaning behind that or is there, where does that originate from
1: Yeah I love that question and the answer is yes there is a meaning to it um it it really relates back to or references rewilding in nature so the idea of rewilding is this idea of infusing an element that's missing in an ecosystem and And the most notable story, it's a fascinating story. I won't, I won't retell it, but I'd encourage you just Google um, rewilding Yellowstone, Yellowstone National Park. um, It's a fascinating story about how the ecosystem essentially was on the verge of collapse. They tried all these different things to address what they saw, which were surface symptoms. They tried to fix the surface symptoms, but it wasn't until they identified an element that was missing. In the ecosystem infused that element that they really saw this impact. And the impact was extraordinary. They did one thing and it had this ripple effect. And it really, it, it really talks about how we, as an organization, how we help businesses, how we see businesses thrive. A lot of consulting, or a lot of consultants, maybe, or the industry in general. They're going to come in and they're going to say, well, this is broken, replace it, throw it out, cut it, you know, fix it. And we take a bit of a different approach. Most organizations are doing a lot of things well. Most organizations that are looking for consulting services that that are at the point where they're actually wanting to work on their business, they're doing a lot of things well, but there's some gaps. There's things that are missing in their business ecosystem. We identify those things and we help them infuse through the use of a lot of knowledge and principle and structures these things that are not going to fix the surface symptoms, but really to get at the root causes and have these ripple effects that impact their business, both in their current state and then for years and years to come.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Got it. And as you are talking there and you're describing the, I guess the birth of the Rewild group and the way you were talking about the, the business, how you are sort of plateauing, it kind yes. of, it kind of reminds me of the fact that in many cases, and particularly this happens with leaders as well, often, the skill sets and the attitudes and the behaviours you get to a certain level, Mm. but also the behaviours, the attitudes and the perspectives that perhaps will prevent you from getting to the next level. So it means we've got to, there's there's one fundamental thing missing or a couple of things we just need to make a a tweak to. That can be the difference. It makes all the difference.
1: It does. I mean, it. I'm not going to tell you that every time the business leader can make the change. Can fill the hole. I, I think that the, that's a it's an idealistic thing to say, and I w- that the reality is is that sometimes the shift that's required cannot be done or achieved by the current leader. Mm-hmm. But what I hate to see, even more than a leader who's reached a point where they maybe not are not the best leader, best person fit for the job to lead and grow the organization. What I hate to see more than that is somebody who's working so hard and has no idea why it's not working.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, because you know, if you're in that situation and you have an organization, you've grown to a point in your sets and your leadership style, they're just not going to take it to the next level. There's a lot of options out there, right? You can bring in a professional CEO. You can get outside help. You can exit the business mm-hmm. and let it go on to that. But the CEO who has had success and is stuck mm-hmm. It's just this awful thing to watch um, as they struggle, not because they're not working hard, but but because they're focused on and they're doing the things that are not serving the organization yeah. in the ways they used to.
0: Yeah, and I'm just wondering also as you're talking whether that's a symptom a symptom of, I guess, the growth that they've gone through up until that point where mm. they've been they've played a certain role. Uh, mm-hmm. at, in in a certain evolutionary process of the business, if you like, and it requires a, a different, I guess, a different approach uh, at different stages of the business. And I just look back on my own career and the corporations that I've worked for, and the senior leadership group. There was almost like a season where they needed a certain type of leader yeah. in that season in order for that organisation to thrive in in the marketplace. So it's um, it, it must be frustrating. And I see it a lot also with mm. sales leaders in particular banging the same drum, hoping that the results are going to change, but they're still doing yeah. the same thing. But they don't necessarily have the, I guess, the fortitude or the insight to take a couple of steps back and really look at it from a practical point of view. Hey, what's really working here? What was working 12 months ago? But the market's mm-hmm. changed. The ecosystem's changed. What mm-hmm. is missing? What's the missing ingredient? Is it me? Is it the way we're doing things? Is it the culture? Yes. Is it the people?
1: Yeah. yeah, no, 100%. And I think your point is so, it is so important to understand that we're naturally wired in a certain way. And sometimes our natural inclination, skill sets, attitudes, who we are align very well with what our business needs. Mm. And as you grow it, sometimes, well, in fact, often that changes. And so, for example, like a stage one to two business in our methodology goes up to 19 employees, one to 19 employees. And that's going to be an owner-centric business. This is a business that revolves around the owner.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, the owner is the business. And then you take this huge leap between stages two and three, you're moving to an enterprise-centric business. This is a business that stands on its own, where delegation is critical. And I can just tell you, that those two leaders, the ones that lead owner-centric businesses and the ones that lead enterprise-centric businesses are different in so many ways. And some of them can make that transition. But I would say there's probably an equal number that can't. And the worst part is is that a lot of them are trying to grow their businesses without realizing that's a requirement, that they have to do that. Um, So absolutely. I mean, I think you're tailored to and you fit better um, in some stages as a leader, then, then you may naturally otherwise. The problem is, is when we go around not realizing, you know, it, either way, I suppose. Well, it's
0: it's it sometimes then becomes the blind leading the blind because the, the leader mm-hmm. or the CEO mm-hmm. pretty much doesn't know what they don't know. And they'll just keep doing the same thing because that's the thing we've always done.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, and it makes complete sense that this had been the key to your success all along. You as the expert. You as the leader of everything involved in every project, yeah. um, you would continue to do that. And when and it may be too, you may realize too late that, that really the key to success is how well you can delegate that information, how well you can groom um, future leaders in your organization to expand and grow the organization. Mm. Those leaders hit burnout, right? Those mm. leaders are they lose people because people feel micromanaged and the, the type of talent you need at that level is, uh, you know, they're eager. They want to be growing and contributing. And when you've got that very talented CEO who doesn't realize the roles have changed um, in the organization, what the organization needs for have changed, they're dead in the water.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Which which kind of begs the question, and I'd love to delve into the, the stages of growth because I think it's yeah. a really fascinating conversation. Um, before we do that, though, it begs the question um, at what point... And I don't I don't want this to sound like a derogatory question, but at what point do <clears throat> CEOs and senior leaders um bring you guys in? Is it like at a stage of desperation mm. or is it a stage of, you know what, we we want to grow to the next level, but we're not quite mm. sure. How can we get some ad, in outside assistance to maybe give us more of a an objective view of what's required and bring some insights from, from other organizations? Is there a is there a specific I guess catalyst for for when you guys get brought in?
1: yeah, i I, I think there's a couple. and uh, and part of that relates to back to the fact that we have a number of different ways that people can access the information. You know, they can they can do it themselves. There's a lot of self-help resources that we provide. Um, and then there's coaches and there's advisors that they can um, that they can connect with and help them on their journey. But I would say, it's, I kind of break it up into two groups. There's the group who's stuck. Um, I'd say there's some of the best people to work with. Why? Because they don't have so much going on that they can't focus. Uh, they don't, most of the time, if they're stuck long enough, they know they've got to make a change. So there is that, That I don't want to say the desperation, but that really is sometimes what it shows up as yeah. um, to make a different change. I would say the most successful clients are ones who have tried other things and are willing to be open to, you know, listening and really taking a, um, a step back from their business. Like you said, and, and looking and saying, why are we doing what we are doing and what is working or why is it not working? Mm-hmm. Um, there's some clients uh, that have used the methodology when they're growing very rapidly. Uh, that brings its own challenges, I would say, because, you know, when you're when your business is growing so fast. Of course, what they're worried about is is running right off the rails, right? having no control of the business, missing a lot of these critical steps along the way, um, only to find the moment that they pause, it all crumbles. Mm. The challenge with um, those organizations is to find the mind space, is to find the focus. And um, oftentimes, because there's so much buying for their attention, I've seen those generally be less successful. I'm not going to say they're not successful. Uh, they can't be, but generally it's, it's harder to find that mind space. I think it's more of the, the mental space that the uh, CEO finds themselves in. Um, acknowledgement that they aren't sure how to achieve a specific outcome in terms of growth of their business. I would say that's, you know, if I boil it down, those are the types of CEOs we tend to work with, yeah. um, whether it's they're declining, they're growing fast, they're stuck all of them are CEOs that have a vision for where their organization could go and um, for whatever reason haven't been able to get there or aren't certain they can get their business there and want yeah. help.
2: Yeah.
0: And then, then I'm thinking, as you're talking, I wonder how many CEOs have the, I guess, the emotional intelligence to say, Hey, maybe, it, maybe it's me. That's the person that's, that's stopping and inhibiting mm. the growth to the point where if, if I'm going to allow this business to move to the next level and, Create some sustainability for this business, and maybe just maybe I'm not the person to lead it moving forward.
1: Yeah, I don't know what what percentage that is, but I would like if I had to bet my life on it, I'd probably put a small number there. Very small. Hard. That's so (laughs) hard.
0: Oh, particularly hard. Yeah, particularly if you've started the business or you've come in at the infancy of the of the business growth, and you want to see it through, you just want to see it through.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Fascinating. Absolutely. Fascinating. Absolutely.
0: So um, let's I'd love to love to explore this because I know you've got and it used to be called, correct me if I'm wrong, something like the seven steps of um growth. Seven, or seven stages. stages, yeah. Seven of stages of growth. Mm-hmm. Now known as the organizational rewilding stages of growth.
2: Yep.
0: <laughs> so I'd really, and and this is for people listening, uh, irrespective of the size of the business you're currently in. Um, whether you're in a small small uh, small medium business, even a startup through to a medium-sized enterprise these stages have applicability because there'll be different I guess there'll be different uh, things to look for and things that you'd mm-hmm. be looking for Madeline in terms of the stages of, of where this business is in terms mm-hmm. of what's working what's not what what's not working so that based on research you know what sort of levers to pull, at the various stages to give them the opportunity of making that leap to the next stage, which, yeah. by the way, will create its own set of new problems, which, um, <laughs> which means they need to be conscious of that as well. But I'll be really curious to go through each of the stages and just to get maybe sure. a bit of a high level of overview of what are some of the things that um, that businesses need to be mindful of. But mm. based on the work that you guys are doing, is there, is there some common threads that people listening to this can be starting to look for? that might just give a little bit of an insight in terms of, okay, this is what's happening in my business now. If I now start to put this thing in place or look at that, this gives me mm-hmm. opportunity to maybe unlock the door to the next stage.
1: Yeah, no, great. Um, I think that's a, a great intro. And I I think I'll just walk us through actually the stages. Um, one again, caveat. I'm
0: just getting your uh, website so I
2: can
1: find. Oh, it. that's fine. <laughs> uh, that's fine. Um One thing I always like to say is that sometimes, probably the biggest misconception about the stages of growth is that the goal is to get to seven, Um, because it's not really the goal. The goal is to get the organization where you want it to be, Um, and to be successful, stable, uh, and resilient at that stage. Um, So as you are going through the stages, um, I'll give you kind of a general overview and we'll dig into each of the stages the first thing is to understand what stage you're in Mm -hmm. and to consider the dynamics of that stage. What are the rules? What are, what kind of leadership is needed? Um, How do we prioritize people, profit and process a number of dimensions, but then it's also to look back and say, did we miss anything along the way? Um, That's kind of your second step. So with those concepts in mind, let's just dig in. So stage one, um, is going to be from one to 10 employees and um, it's called the startup stage. Um, you know, when when we think of startup, I know that something comes to mind that isn't always necessarily um an accurate depiction of what we see stage one businesses being, because there can be a 15-year-old professional services stage one business. Um, yeah. the idea of the stage names is just to give a little more of a, a personality to each of these stages to help really solidify the learning. But the biggest thing here, a couple of them. One, Stage one businesses, um, a a common pitfall we see in stage one businesses is that they try to over-engineer process at stage one. Um, They make things so cumbersome, so complex. This can especially be true of very technical, highly technical or highly skilled um, businesses or business owners, that they can go in and have this very engineer almost like mind and try to make everything perfect because the thing is, you've got to in stage one focus on profit. Yeah. If I had to boil it down to what, if you don't have profit figured out in stage one, that's the thing you have to figure out. You don't you you don't get to. It's kind of that door, you know, and, and you don't get to go through the door. That's the lock on the door. You got to figure that out, profit. Um, but then the other thing is is people. In your stage one business, you have maybe you have up to ten people. Every single person is a critical member of the organization. Mm. They have to be a good fit. Generally, as a general rule of thumb, we'd say hire generalists rather than specialists. Hire for the fit in the organization. That's so key. Now, there's definitely businesses where you have to have specific skill sets or specific um, you know, accreditations or, or certifications to, to work. Yeah. But the idea here is. It's not just about what that person has done. It's how they fit in your team. Hmm. That's that's really critical. Um, growing up then to stage two, profit remains very, very important. But as you have now from 11 to 19 employees in the ramp up stage is what we name this. Mm-hmm. Um, process becomes more important. So process is how we standardize things. Process how we keep things consistent. How we keep things scalable. How we th- keep things trainable. That people can come into the organization, be onboarded, and can deliver the same experience to our customers or clients that another person in the organization does as well. So process becomes more important. We're not saying there's no process in stage one. Um, In stage one, though, you don't want to have the rigidity keep you from being able to grow. You're still probably feeling things out. Um, Stage two, then ramp up the process a little bit. Um, the other thing here is that the, the CEO needs to start or be looking ahead to stage three, where they're going to enter into that very challenging transition from owner centric to enterprise centric, um, stage three is delegation. Mm. That is a perfect, perfect word, probably for any stage three business to have front of mind, because here the span of control Um, It just exceeds an owner's ability to be involved in every single thing where they had maybe been able to in prior stages, 20 to 34 employees. And the biggest thing here is making that transition, identifying those key leaders in the organization that can be that supervisory managerial level um, that can have values and and culture buy-in that is consistent with what the CEO has developed. So making those very clear here. Again, you're trying to take what the CEO, the the business, the CEO built, and you're trying to you're trying to grow that in a way that is not dependent on the CEO.
0: Yeah. So, so you want you want to be able to leverage the CEO and get people of like mind who have the same exactly. thought process, the same approach, and that's where. You mentioned values. That's where values become really important in terms of everybody on the same page, what sort of standards do we have in place? Um, Yeah, because I was going to ask you as you move from stage stage two to stage three, we start to make that transition from, I guess, the owner-centric, CEO-centric into an enterprise sort of focused organisation. At what stage does the organisation or the CEO have to start thinking ahead and start Mm. almost acting as if they are one or two stages ahead So they can start to set the platform is that is that part of the thinking process or or... it is
1: it is there are in the methodology there's a number of dimensions and i think of them as kind of lenses or if you think of like facets of a diamond you're, you're looking at different pieces of the business and there are specific dimensions that can be kind of worked ahead on if you're if you're working ahead there's others that don't make as much sense to do that Um, but that's absolutely a dynamic that we've got some very uh, advanced, high-performing stage three businesses that have a lot of the rules in stage four and are maybe starting on some rules in stage five so that those transitions are easier. Mm -hmm. Um, There isn't a, I wouldn't say there's a a specific um, formula for when you start preparing, but what I, what I would say is Almost always true is that a CEO who's looking forward to how things are going to change and when they're going to change and preparing for that change, they're going to navigate the change a lot better than the CEOs so that that's yes. not. Yeah. Um so yeah, no, absolutely. Uh what you said was is a hundred percent true. Culture, values in stage three, it can be a turbulent time for the organization because you've got staff members who have had very Easy access, direct access to the CEO, and now you're trying to put in some more structure, more hierarchy, and you can have a bit of um, a, a bit of pushback from your from your staff. And so, yeah. really making sure that those values and, and the experience stays consistent is critical. Stage three, um, stage four, moving ahead to stage four, the professional stage. Um, in stage three, you set in place, or hopefully set in place. Some supervisors, some key managers. Um, Stage four is all about professionalizing that level of your organization. So, what does that mean? Um, That means you can be investing in training and um, mentorship, coaching of that level. It could mean that you're bringing in more experienced um, managers into that um, level of the organization. Mm. But at this point, the complexity of your organization, it's not going to cut it to have just Specialists that you've promoted up to a manager leading these departments or functions within your business. So, these professionalized managers need to be encouraged to um, really own and grow and strengthen their areas of the business. So, they need to become the subject matter experts for that area of your organization and really foster excellence in business development, in operations, in support services. Yeah. That can lead to some silos. That can lead to some silos which gets handled in stage 5. So you need to invest in stage 4 professional managers and process. Huge, huge, huge in process. So we focus on process in stage 2. Um as we were getting more complicated and more people, stage 4 it's a different level of focus that's required on process. Um process and systems I would put okay. in here. If you miss that You're going to really struggle to scale part of this professionalization of your management team and giving them this um, the authority and um, the resources to perfect or not perfect is the wrong word to really invest in and strengthen their areas of the business. Part of that is in the process and systems piece of it. In stage five, like I said, we are taking care of the silos that we have created in stage four with the integration phase Mm. uh, uh, stage. And um, what's key here is that we now take these professionalized managers who have these strong departments and we integrate them into a cohesive leadership team Um, that is a different level in the organization than has existed before for Most, you know, stage one and two, you're owner centric stage three and four. You've got a management, maybe supervisory layer in stage five. You now have a leadership team and you you have a a strong C-suite or that's growing at least levels of VPs and directors um, that are helping to really lead the the day-to-day and the strategic initiatives at Mm -hmm. this point. Integration, getting all those leaders that you've trained up on the same page, absolutely critical. Absolutely critical. Um, carrying you over to to stage six. Stage six is a strategic stage. It doesn't mean you don't need strategy in all the other stages. Definitely. If you've made it this far without strategy, I'd love. I we need to talk. I would just love to hear your secrets. Um,
2: Magic one. But
1: <laughs> but the strategic stage stage six is at this point you've got ninety six to one hundred and sixty employees. This organization requires a level of strategic planning that has never been required of your organization before. It's just a different level. And so if you have not done your work to have professionalized managers and leaders and then integrate them into a leadership team, stage six is a nightmare because you do not have the team, the cohesiveness, the leadership team to help you set a strategic vision and execute on that strategic vision within the organization. Um, you know, a couple other things in this space is uh or in this stage is really the focus on people. Um, because again, the organization's grown so large, it's making sure that the people feel connected and engaged, eyes in with strategy, right? If people mm-hmm. know where they're headed, why they're headed there, um, there is it is easier to buy into something you can see and understand than the ambiguous abyss that you just walk through. Um Stage seven then is the visionary stage. And like stage six, you have to have vision in all your stages. Um, It's required of really every business owner. But in stage seven, the level uh, of vision and and how much foresight um, and how how much a CEO or a leader has to be able to paint a picture for the future, get buy into that um, and and continually tie the day-to-day work to that vision um, is a different level. And here we've got, um, you know, 161 employ over 161 employees, and we are faced with the business really being stale. That's really the challenge at the size of an organization, especially an organization that's grown up, that's had this entrepreneurial mindset. They've developed this leadership team, and now you've got this huge organization, comparatively, and your job as the CEO is to reignite that entrepreneurial spirit that you had in earlier stages mm-hmm. to keep the business and innovative, to keep the business relevant, um, along the stages. And I didn't really touch on this because I think it's easier to see across the stages. The CEO, um, we look at this dimension called the three faces of a leader and it is, uh, the three key faces that a, a leader wears: the visionary, the manager, and the specialist. The visionary sets the vision for the organization. It's working on the business. It's tying where they're headed to the day to day activities. The manager is um, t- uh, managing work, people, and workflow.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the specialist is actually doing the work. You know, I am a you know I own a plumbing company. I am actually going out there and and getting a job done. A CEO goes from a highly specialized CEO in early stages, and that go, grows increasingly small. Mm. That can be especially challenging for a CEO who founded a business because they were great at fill in the blank. I'll use my plumber example. They're a great plumber. Um, the other dynamic that we see across the stages is that the manager face starts out small because the organization is you know, small, not as complex. And then it gets very, very big in the, middle sta- in the middle stages, stages three, four, five, where we are developing a, that management team, where we're developing that leadership team. And then it tapers off a little. Mm-hmm. The visionary phase is very heavy at the beginning. Where are you headed? What are you trying to do? How do you get people bought into what you're doing? Yeah. And then huge at stage seven. You spend a lot of time as a CEO of a 300-person business working on the business. I mean, that's the majority of your business. So there's dynamics that are going on that relate directly back to the business, but there's also components of what we look at that really are very focused on the CEO themselves, that that top executive and how they have to grow and change and adapt. Phenomenal. Phenomenal.
0: And when you think about it, I guess the um, and this is why the why I asked the question: How many CEOs see it through? Because there might be some CEOs that say, you know what, I love the visionary stuff up front. Yes. I love being a specialist. I don't think I can be the generalist. I don't think I can be the person that's going to oversee, you know, one hundred and fifty to three hundred people. Yeah. Uh, so I want to go back. I'm going to start again. So you'll see these perpetual entrepreneurs that that keep doing some startups, and they'll move from 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 startup to startup. Yeah, and then hand it off at a certain stage.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. They, they use the things that they're that they're great at, right? Yeah. At highest and best, right? They're yeah. they are really focusing on the things that they do well, and 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 leading businesses that have needs that align with those skill sets, right? We I'll t- I talk a decent amount about this idea that your business is an entity, and we, you know, we all take personality tests, strengths finders to learn about ourselves. And yet, somewhere along the way, we've just decided we don't have to do that for a business. We don't have to understand our business. We don't have to understand what our business needs, what its strengths are, what its weaknesses are. That can relate back to the industry you're in, the size, the age, yeah. you know, all sorts of things. Yeah. But we just don't take the time to learn the business. And, and that le- puts us in this space of not really knowing what the business needs and not being able to either adapt to what the business needs or I identify that this isn't really the right fit for Mm. me, uh, for my skill set.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I noticed in the, between the, well, a couple of questions. One is uh, some of the stages have very specific employee numbers. I'm interested in the, uh, in the research that came from that. So example, stage four, the professional stage, 35 to 57. It's a very (laughs) specific number, Madeline. I
1: know it is. I know it is. Well, and I can't take credit for this. Like I said, I'm, I am just a user and a believer of the methodology. <laughs> um but the uh I will tell you it's eerily accurate. I I just will. Um both based on my own experience and the experience of many CEOs that I've worked with using this methodology. The research came it was actually done by a gentleman named James Fisher and he published his original findings in a book called Navigating the Growth Curve. And um It was done through about, you know, three decades of research and looked across about 1300 organizations um, with the sole purpose of what what makes businesses successful, what makes them unsuccessful. And he wasn't going in looking for stages, which is interesting. Um, He will tell you that this is what he found. It's not necessarily what he was looking for. Um, I cannot, I agree with you, they're, they're oddly specific and yet oddly accurate. So I don't know. I can't necessarily (laughs) tell you why or how, um, It it is, it is what it is. And, and I will tell you that there are things called transition zones, which span into, you know, the end of one stage and the beginning of the other, where there is just like in nature as things transition, it's a bit of these, it's a little bit chaotic. Because yeah. you are transitioning. You almost have a foot in each stage.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so there's a little wiggle room there.
0: Hence, hence, I just noticed on your diagram you've got the flood zone between one and two, between yes. three and four, and between five yes. and six. Uh-huh. And then we've got the wind tunnel. The wind tunnel yeah. between two, three, four, five,
1: oscillate. Yes. Another thing that he would just tell you, I wish I could tell you why but (laughs) that's just what happens. So the, the transition zones are again, they're, they're transitionary period, right. Period of chaos where you're, where you're growing from a stage one to a stage two and a wind tunnel is really where the, the things that served you before the structures, the processes, the systems, sometimes um, they no longer work. And so it's it's a period of really having to go through and evaluate uh, and get rid of, I think of, out with the old, in with the new mentality. Um, and that doesn't mean you, you're letting go of all your team. I mean, it really is identifying, you know, it used to work to track our inventory on a spreadsheet. And now we've just gotten to this point where that is, the business is too complex to do that. Yeah. Um, and then the the uh, flood zone often presents itself as a, a flood of work. Um, so that as you're growing through these stages, that typically at these growth points, that there is... Um, a push of activity that tends to push you into that next stage. And the the challenge is learning how to navigate that additional work and without necessarily just throwing more bodies at it. Because as you throw more bodies at it, then you grow the complexity of the organization. So um, the awareness of these flood zones and these wind tunnels, what they do is really help a business leader understand that it's not just this it's not in their imagination that there really is this transition that's happening. And what they need to emphasize is structure, really mm-hmm. giving their organization, you know, this is what we're focused on, this is where we're headed, this is why this is happening. Uh, this is how we're going to get through it. And here's what we're going to focus on, right? In times of chaos, I uh, Matt will use the analogy. He talks about it's like going through, um, if you're white water rafting. And it's the guide saying, okay, even even if you're hitting rapids, if the guide is saying, okay, we're going this way, everyone row in this direction, everyone's safer, everyone's clearer. There's mm-hmm. even in a time of chaos, there is a level of comfort and ease um, and at least understanding where you're headed and, and what's yeah. coming.
0: Yeah, because that's because you've got a leader who has certainty, who has confidence, yes. and maybe yes. he can hit because... When you think about it on a white water they're probably sort of either kneeing or standing up. So they can probably see further mm-hmm. than anybody else anyway. Mm-hmm. So
1: mm-hmm. which
0: means they're kind of metaphorically one or two stages ahead of everybody else. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. A hundred percent.
0: Wow. So when you think about all this, uh, because one of the things I was thinking about is um because you mentioned before that the the stages are purely based on or pretty much based on the employee. Yeah, numbers based on all the research um -hmm. i'm curious to know and whether you found this whether uh, if a business is of a certain size can they be punching above their weight or below their weight so the i guess the the essence of the question is how many businesses sometimes for whatever reason it could be the lack of vision from the ceo or not playing their part or not getting the right professionals in um can they go backwards and not so much in terms of their employee numbers Mm -hmm. but can you Mm -hmm. for example have any a for all intents and purposes an organization in integration phase so stage five 58 to 95 employees but from a maturity point of view they're really at stage four still i would say
1: all the time i mean Mm -hmm. maybe the majority of the that that's maybe that is maybe an exaggeration it's very common it's very common um, and the way I think of it is they are a stage five business that they're operating like they're they're stage three. And that is the um that's the reality for many businesses, that there's a gap. And that gap is creating a ton of organizational trauma.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, things are chaotic, things aren't working the way they're supposed to be, turnover is excessive, the CEO is burnt out. Um, and, and oftentimes you'll actually see those businesses retreat, right? Mm-hmm. You'll actually see them downsize um, because they haven't done the work to really get them, the organization to that stage. They maybe were able to bring in an influx of work where there's, there's kind of outside factors that allowed them to grow up into further stages than they were really, than they'd really built. Mm-hmm. Then they really hadn't built that a uh, stage five organization. They really had built a stage three organization that Had an influx of people. And you know, like I said, it, it really the goal isn't necessarily to get to stage seven. So that organization might say, no, we're good at stage three, we'll retreat back to stage three. But for the organization that says, no, we want to be at this kind of this level, this is this is where the you know revenue per employee based on in our industry gets us the you know X, Y, and Z goals yeah. as we kind of backwards uh or reverse engineer what we want our business to be then it's okay well here's the gap and Mm. how do we what do we have to work on to bridge that gap from a leadership perspective from a from the the non-negotiable rules and business development and finance and leadership and culture you know all these things how do we then bridge that gap
0: Mm. so it also says to me that there's no there's no real specific time frame because it'll be different for different Mm -mm. businesses because there's so many different factors that go into that and I mean my my own view of, of this and looking at businesses that I work with, often they get into a stage where they want to they want to become almost bigger than they are, but too quickly. And they mm-hmm. become yeah. almost a victim of their own growth and they don't oh, get the results 100%. they thought. And then they they're forced to retreat.
1: Mm-hmm. So I know the
0: answer to this question, but um, I'm gonna ask it anyway. <laughs>
1: That's fair.
0: <laughs> uh, for organizations that are looking to go through the seven stages, there's there's going to be an evolutionary process. Um, how important is patience, but also, the I guess, the length mm-hmm. of time that an ordinary business or an average business, and by average, I'm saying not an average business, though obviously a, a typical business um, yeah. spends in each stage before they get to a point where they can be sustainably successful at stage seven.
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, there isn't really, um, a magic number as you, as you pointed out, patience is critical. Um, also, uh, there are some organizations that have leaders that just have a a different level or a different pace that they work with organizations that are, that run a different pace. And Mm -hmm. so I would say there's no reason you can't go through the stages quickly, but you have to do the work, Mm -hmm. right? So, it's kind of like, you know, building a house. I You could take 10 years to build a house. You could take five months to build a house, but what you have to accomplish in that time period is is relatively the same. Um, if you can get it done in five months and if you can do it well in five months, um, then you will have the same benefit as the person who it took 10 years. You'll have it earlier.
2: Mm.
1: You'll have it earlier and that that might better suit your goals.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but it's about doing the work. <clears throat> and getting those structures in place along the way. Yeah. And if you know you're headed to stage five, maybe you can take on each step with that in mind. But you can't just jump to stage five, work on stage five roles and have a stage five business. Mm-hmm. You have to, these are building blocks, really. Yeah. You have to, the st- stage one, you got to have that down to really successfully and comfortably move to stage two. And again, you can do that quickly. You can do it slowly. You can grow quickly for a few stages and pause and then continue to grow. Um, but the work kind of stays the same.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: They've
0: yeah. So got to have, you've got to have the fundamentals in place.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Or they'll pull you back or they'll weigh really heavily on your business. You know,
0: we always get what we deserve.
1: I don't know if I want to say that. Some days it's like I don't think. I hope I deserve this. But a a good leader
0: will also say, "Hey, what's what? What have I done to create this? Right? Am I am I trying to push? Am I trying to push my business? Am I trying to push my team? Like, is my vision so much bigger than everybody Mm -hmm. else that it feels like?" They're just, I'm carrying these guys the whole time. So yeah. mentioned patience before. And I think that's one of the most important things that we need to have in business, particularly as leaders. Mm. Because as leaders, we can sometimes be very impatient thinking that, hey, I know how to do this. I've been there. I've done that. Why can't anybody else see it? What I can see. Come on.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes, isn't that we've all heard that me probably more than once. Probably yes, more
0: than absolutely. One. So good leaders uh, can see uh, uh, beyond themselves and not and not make it about themselves. Hey, the other question I had for you with with this is, particularly if you get to an organisation where you're at, you're sort of from a structural point of view sitting at stage seven, and you mentioned it before, you've yeah. got different different teams and potentially different silos. Yeah. Can you have, and I think I know the answer to this. Um, can you have an organization with teams who happen to be in a different stage of growth?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we commonly, are we most commonly apply this methodology at a business level, but there are certified advisors out there that work with large organizations that apply this at department or division levels. Right, and it absolutely is the case that you can have an organization that has multiple divisions. Or multiple departments that are at different stages of growth. So you and you can think about this, right? A smaller team that doesn't have, you know, they don't have a director. They've got a couple specialists, and they they're kind of they're a stage one, right? There's a little less process. They're all kind of chipping in everywhere. And for them, the right people is critical. Um, having you know being able to grow, being dynamic. Whereas maybe the the d- department next to them, huge department, right? Yeah. You maybe may, comparatively, it's a hundred people. And it's like, well, no, we've got managed supervisors and managers, directors and VPs and everything is so structured. And we've got our strategic plan out for the next you know, 12 months. And it is important for an organization, both at the executive level, when this is this is the dynamic, but also at each of the departments to understand mm-hmm. that there is this dynamic going on. And if you can be have the foresight or have this collective intelligence You can even take it so far as to have other departments help each other as they're growing through phases and stages that businesses, that their, their, their fellow department leaders are, you know, currently experiencing and, and take that, that and lessons learned and apply it. Mm -hmm. Um, But absolutely, that absolutely exists and, and applies.
0: Because as I, as I see this, looking at some of the big organizations I work with, there's a lot of, uh, lot of different teams and a lot of different silos mm-hmm. who need a lot of work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, who are,
0: and you said it before, often the leaders are actually, um, let's just say, good technicians. They might have been great generalists. Yeah. They might have been really good individual contributors who have been tapped mm-hmm. on the shoulder and say, wow, Madeline, you're an extraordinary individual contributor. You've got a lot of knowledge in this area. I think we're going to make you a manager. And if you're not equipped with the systems, the process, the thinking yes. behind it, it it can be a bit of a um, you know, talking about a flood zone. It could be a flood zone and a wind tunnel all into one.
1: It's a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we um I spend a decent amount of time talking about managers as well. It's a critical part of this growth um journey is is having those right managers in place. And mm. um we on average are are giving managers or promoting people to a level of management with response management responsibilities over a decade before we ever train them to do that. Um, when they look at the average age of managers, people are that be people who become managers. And then the average age that people receive their first, any sort of mentorship, coaching course, anything. Um, and we just wonder why managers don't aren't successful. It, it is, there's a huge gap there. There's a huge gap. And when you look at it in terms of the organization, and that's why I have such a passion for that piece of it is it is critical to the organ. It's not just about your man. It's not about that person. It's about, not about that manager. It's about the success of your organization. If you cannot figure out how to empower your managers, mm-hmm. um, grow managers, mentor managers, you are essentially agreeing to either struggle from stages four and beyond or be stuck. In stages three or below.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to ask you also do you do you work with organizations purely in in America, or you've you have you no. gone global yet?
1: We have, we have. Um, I wish I could tell you that we had all this foresight and and we just planned it all out, but then you know, COVID happened actually, and that took us global because uh, our certification programs went online, and so we've got a couple individuals actually in Australia. Um, we have, um, a number in Canada in South America in Ireland, um, one in South Africa, actually. So, um, pretty well dispersed actually. Yeah. yeah.
0: Nice. Nice. Love it. Um, and as we kind of get towards the, the back end of, of this yeah. podcast, the, um, and you've given a great, I guess, overview of the different stages. And I think anybody mm-hmm. listening to this Irrespective of the size of the business that they are in,
2: yeah. certain
0: things they need to be listening to and, and listening for in terms of maybe identifying where their business is at in terms of their, mm-hmm. their stage. Um, is there is there some key, I'm not gonna ask you for the magic pill, but are are there some key key areas that you um you tend to focus on when you go into businesses, uh, irrespective of the stage? Now I know you mentioned. People, profit, and processes. Mm-hmm. I guess overarching that is is the is the culture that we develop irrespective of the stage. Yeah. But is there is there specific things that you like to, to focus on that you know irrespective of where the CEO sits, irrespective of where the, the evolution of the business is, we really have to hone in on these on these things to give ourselves a chance of, of getting to the next stage. <laughs>
1: kind of a trick question, actually, because it is totally relevant. It totally depends on the stage would be my answer. Um, but this isn't, this isn't necessarily, I think the, the, I always, I always have them start at where are they at and then yeah. where do they want to be? Um, and, and that's not a specific thing that I look for or a specific, you know, make sure your culture is strong or look at your strategy because the reality is, is every single organization does some things well and some things they, they don't do well. And so we always look at the organization and say, in these areas, we actually look at 11 specific areas in the organization. Mm-hmm. Things like how are they measuring performance, You know, KPIs, what's their organizational structure look like, um, what, how's their management team. So we have 11 specific areas we look at and we help a business see where they're at in each of those. Um, those are our elements. Those are the things that we see need to be infused. But what stage are you in, and where do you want to go? Um, that's that's the starting point. That and so, and the, and, it's, and it's an easy thing to figure out too.
0: Yeah, yeah. just ask the question. <laughs> you do your research. There yeah. you go. You find out. But we the answer is,
1: magic pill.
0: Yeah, exactly right. And I know, I knew it was. I was. I wasn't trying to set you up to give me a different answer because okay. I knew that. But <laughs> what you say there is is really important because for any leader for any ceo for any business owner it's about establishing and identifying where reality is right now so if we can establish what reality looks like then at least it gives and as as sometimes as unpalatable as that reality may actually feel like and look like absolutely it's the foundation it's the starting point right so where we are is where we are just embrace Mm -hmm. it what it is and say right what's working what's not working what are some things i need to think about in order to give myself the opportunity of of stepping over the flood zone into the next zone, or or yes. going through the wind tunnel into the next zone, and then that presents a whole new sets of re- set of realities that we need to start thinking about. What, what do I have to change? What do I have to increase? Mm-hmm. What do I have to decrease? You know, stop, start, maintain, etc. Uh, and yeah. if I keep doing that, then I've I've got myself an opportunity of having a sustainable
1: business. Exactly.
0: Brilliant. Hey, Madeline, simple. love. Yeah. It, it, well, it is simple. It's but it's. But it's, hey, sometimes well, hard it's tricky, work. but it's actually complicated as well. Yeah, yeah. The work that's required, as simple as it might sound. Simple isn't
1: easy.
0: That's it. That's it. So, hey, I love, love this conversation. Thank you so much for um, for jumping on. I know it's a busy Tuesday afternoon for you. Uh, for people who are listening to this, whether they be CEOs, uh, individual contributors who have an interest in their business and seeing mm-hmm. how they can you know improve it, or also leaders, We're trying to understand, you know, why aren't we growing? Where can they find out more about you uh, and also more about the Rewild Group?
1: Yeah. So um, thanks again for having me. This has been a pleasure. Um, The best place to find me is on LinkedIn, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, RewildGroup.com is a great place to start when you um, show up there. It'll probably even pester you to figure out which stage of growth you're in. And that's where I recommend you start. Um, If you're the self-help type um, and you like to dig in and understand the concepts, the stages of growth series, it's a quick guidebook series, a 60 minute read for each of the stages is available on Amazon. It's always where I recommend people start. Okay.
0: Brilliant. Awesome. So as I do with uh, all of my guests, if there's one final message you'd like to leave, leave the the audience.
1: (laughs) Oh man. Lots of pressure. Um, <laughs> and no notice, no notice, <laughs> and no notice. Um, no, I I think that the biggest thing for me is why I'm passionate about the work we do here is that the work you do matters. Um, that is foundational to what we believe here at the Rewild Group. That, that work matters. It's important, and uh, that's why we work so hard to create good workspaces and workplaces and 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 build successful businesses. Is because the people that work in great businesses. Um, they go home as better versions of themselves. They are better spouses and parents and children and contributors to society. And so for me and for all of those listening, you know, just a thank you for the work that you do and the work that you strive to do um, because it matters.
0: Love it. I'm just going to end it there. Thank you so much, Madeline. There we go. I've got nothing <laughs> else to add. That is just gold. Greatly appreciate <laughs> your spending time. And um, yeah. We'll have to- Thanks uh, so much. Have to do this again.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks,
0: Madeline. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com. And let's have a conversation about how I can help
2: you along your journey to being exceptional.